As we come to this section in, in John chapter 17, as Brian has mentioned to us, it's about Jesus' prayer for himself. I want to start our thoughts just with the fact of, um, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, Jesus gives to us something very important here. And Paul, whenever the, the writer to the Hebrews, is, is telling us that our eyes are to be fixed on Jesus because he's our example. And we're going to see the reality of this being worked out in what we look at today, that it was because of the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. That's what he's praying about whenever he prays. But anyway, let's, let's look at this section. Last night I was out on my bike for the first time for a decent cycle in probably a year. And I'll tell you what, I rediscovered the discomfort that there is being on a bike and particularly going down that Antrim Road and up the Antrim Road. The, 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 the ground's not just quite as level as I either wanted it to be or would like it to have been. It was a bit uncomfortable at times. And the whole journey, it was a bit uncomfortable. And, and maybe tomorrow might tell me it's going to be even more comfortable, but there you go. It's not the smoothest journey, but, but really good, really helpful. Today's journey in being discipled by Jesus, I think might get a wee bit uncomfortable for us. Because we've been journeying with Jesus up to this point. We've been discipled by him through the words that he has spoken and the actions that he has demonstrated for us, particularly even as, as we saw him washing the disciples' feet. But he's been giving us so much, telling us how we're to, to live our lives without his physical presence, but having the presence of the Holy Spirit. The first bit that Brian read for us, that we're told that he lifts his eyes to heaven. His eyes illustrate what's actually going on in his heart. This just wasn't something where he just lifted his eyes to the top of his head, as sometimes we do whenever we're maybe wondering about something. He lifts his eyes to heaven because in his heart he's wanting to talk to his father. Jesus is about to start on a mission which will fulfill his reason for coming to the earth, his reason for being sent by the father to the earth. The first thing he wants to do is pray. That's Jesus' default position. Remember, uh, we had a, I, my first charge was in Castle Coffee in English. And I remember Jackson Buick uh, coming to um, share with us in that mission. And he, because it was such a long way from Belfast, he, he, we offered him the opportunity of staying with us. And uh, each night we would have sort of had conversations and chatted about various things. And, and every night at the end of that conversation, Jackson always said, 
Now let's commit our conversation to God. Let's pray. Absolutely brilliant. Lovely. Default position of Jesus here. He wants to talk to his father as he embarks on this mission that he's been called to do, has been been sent by, by the father to do. You see, praying to his father is characteristic of Jesus' life. In Mark chapter 1, we're told he gets up early in the morning while it was still dark to go to a solitary place to pray, to talk to his father. I find it hard enough getting up at the time I get up without getting up whenever it's really dark to go and go and pray. And yet in John 12, Jesus prays that God will display his power and his glory as he prays about Lazarus. In John chapter, that was John chapter 11. John chapter 12 then, Jesus agonizes in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever he prays, Father, not my will, but yours. Whenever he comes to that point of, that we realize that prayer is aligning our will with the will of the Father. And Jesus prays in small groups. He prays in private. He prays in public. He steps out of the routine and the pressure of ministry to be alone with his Father. If he needs to do that, then I think so do we. Jesus, right at the very start of what he was called to do, sets time aside to pray. And that's what he's doing here. Here in John 17, verses 1 to 5, Jesus is praying for himself in this absolutely incredible prayer. As he prays for himself, he's not praying that his health will improve or that his circumstances might change or that there'd be a better life for him. Jesus is praying before he serves his Father that what he will do will bring glory to the Father first and foremost. What Jesus is doing here is actually consecrating himself before he sets about the work that God has asked him to do. He's committing himself to obedience to the Father's will. Later, he will pray for his followers that they will be strong and united in faith as they serve uh, in presenting the message of Christ to the world. But the challenge for us this morning, I think, is that we have that same sense of prayer and consecration as we seek to serve Jesus. Whether it's in coming in to serve here on Sunday morning in Carmoney, whether it's being available to God as we come to think about next Sunday and, and allowing him to guide and direct us in all that we do and say and think, or whether it's that we are serving him in the organization during the week, or whether it's in serving in some other sphere of our lives, in our work situations, in our family, the challenge for us is that we pray and consecrate ourselves to him before we engage in that work. It's all too easy to go and do the work and forget about the consecration. About committing ourselves to God. About ensuring that he is glorified. And so Jesus is exemplifying for us what it means to go into service in any sphere for God. That there's preparation work to be done. That there's a prior commitment 
to engage with God before we are involved in any work for him. With this priority, we will sense God at work amongst us through his Spirit's presence, and ultimately he will indeed be glorified. And we're told that whenever he is glorified, whenever he is lifted up, he will bring people to himself. It's not about us, it's not. It's about him. It's about seeking him. It's about consecrating ourselves to God for him to use in the way that he wants to. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Father, not my will, but yours. As we seek God, consecrating ourselves, whatever he has called us to do, then prayer changes the the dynamic of what happens. It changes us. and, And for some reason, God in his grace responds to our prayers. I don't know that I fully understand that, but or why he does that, but he does. He responds to our prayers. And we sense his presence. As we seek to serve God here in Carmoney, we're called to consecrate ourselves, offering our lives to God, asking that God will be glorified. And through what we do, that then we will act accordingly. Jesus' prayer, consecration before he goes to do the will of the Father, the reason for which he came into the world and for which he had been sent. As we move on to the next week, I I remember sitting in the airport at in Crete, I, th- I think it was Crete. I'm not 100 sure. I just remember the, the experience, uh, not necessarily the airport. Uh, and and you know where you get the call to go on on board uh, to the the plane. The time has come when you've got to get up, gather all your the hand luggage that you have, get your passport, and go through the the the, the gate onto the plane. Well, normally that's no problem. Let's get organized and go. I discovered at that point my passport wasn't there. I had no idea where it was. Normally, I'm the one that keeps the passports. I didn't have mine. I had the others, but not mine. And um, panic then started, and I started gathering myself together, and eventually got to the, got to the point of finding the passport. <laughs> It was in one of the shops that uh, been, we'd been in and uh, the passport had been left behind and eventually we, we were able to get it. And the time had come for us to go onto the plane. We were able to get there. We didn't miss the time. The time was there and we were ready to go for that. Jesus is preparing himself for this journey that he's going on. And preparations had to be made. As I sat in that airport lounge, I wasn't prepared. I didn't even realize it. I wasn't prepared because I didn't have everything together at hand, ready to go. Preparation hadn't been done. But Jesus is preparing himself here. And he starts his prayer by pointing out, Father, the hour has come. It's time to move into action. And I want to be ready for it. And that's why I'm doing this in prayer. He uses the word 
father or daddy, as it's translated. And it shows us the intimacy of his relationship with God to whom he's going to talk about this situation. This was not how God was addressed in the Old Testament. This is not how people knew their relationship with God before. Everything was very formal. But now there's an intimacy with God which ultimately Jesus is able to pass on to us. But the hour has come was also a reference to what was about to happen. The hour meant that Jesus was going to die on the cross. That was the purpose of his appearing. He came amongst us to die. And if ever there was a time to pray, it was now. And that's why he does it. But the hour has come has also, also leads us into God's timing of world events. Everything was worked according to God's timings. And now the time had come for Jesus to fulfill his mission to go to the cross to provide salvation for mankind. Jesus is acknowledging that the time had come for him to step out in faith and to act on what God had asked him to do. It wasn't just about realizing, well, actually, I have a task to do. Now the time had come whenever Jesus had to step out to fulfill what God had asked him to do. Now was the time of obedience. Now was the time of doing what God had asked. And so Jesus is praying as he embarks on doing the Father's will to do what the Father has asked of him required this consecration. It required a mindset of self-sacrifice and of totally offering himself to God. And so Jesus in this prayer is abandoning himself to the will of the Father. No matter what the cost, the hour has come. It's time to step up. It's time to pay the price. Do you know, if we are wanting to fulfill God's will in our lives, then this is the place that we need to get to. Paul points out that he considers everything else rubbish compared to getting to know Jesus Christ. That there is no cost that he's not prepared to pay. He also reminds the Romans, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There you have it again. The sacrifice that's to be made. That's what Jesus is preparing himself for. The hour has come. It's now time to step up and to step out in faith. Is God calling you to do something? Is there something he's been asking you about? Challenging you about? Maybe it's just something in his word. Maybe it's something he's specifically spoken to you about. And the hour has come. It's time to step up and to step out in faith, responding to what he has asked of you to do. If you love me, you will obey my commands. There's the reality of what, what we're talking about. As Jesus said to his father, the time, the hour has come for me to 
to do what you've asked of me. So the call is the same for us. Let's fulfill that. Let's see it's God's timing. That God is able to work out his plan and his purpose. And, and we know that through the vacancy because we had all kinds of timescales and plans that we thought were going to work out. And, and yet God says, hold on, this is my timing. This is my planning. I'm working this. Let's see ourselves fulfilling his plans in our lives. As we move on, again, you maybe don't know, but I'm a Manchester City fan. And before you ask, yes, I have supported them since 1973, which is a long, long time. And even through the times, never they were going through tough times. But recently they've just signed a player from Borussia Dortmund called Erling Haaland. And the thing, and I've loved this story actually, because one of the things about that story is that Erling Haaland's father also played for Man City many years ago. And there was a picture this week which I was really touched by. I thought it was beautiful. Because it showed a picture of Erling Haaland as a child, a very young child, with a Manchester City jersey on, his dad's number in the back of it, and dad written across it, which obviously he had given to his son whenever he was playing for the team and, and all the rest of it. And the picture showed then Erling Haaland, the son, giving his father a shirt with his number on it and son on the back of it. And I thought just, gosh, the closeness and the intimacy of, of that relationship, father and son, being able to share that moment together where one had given the, the other the shirt and then the son gave it back to the father. The closeness of that relationship of father and son. Again, Jesus continues to pray and we see the closeness of the father and the son. Jesus is facing up to the reality of the hour that is coming to the point where he will give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus thinks about this, and you can imagine, well, we can't really, but we're thinking about Jesus sitting as he prays, and in his mind is this hour has come. And for him, it means he's thinking about his death and his resurrection. As he's thinking that, as that's going through his mind, you're thinking, well, what's he going to pray about? What's going to be the priority here? What's going, what words is he going to utter as he thinks about that? Because I know we all have probably thoughts about our own situations, but, but there appears to be an overriding concern. Because he prays it. He prays, Father, I'm praying that you will be glorified in all of this. No matter what happens to me, I want you to be glorified. Jesus asks that the Father would glorify the Son in order that the Son will glorify the Father. Jesus wants people to see and understand the reason why he's going to the cross that he has been sent there by the Father. He wants them to know that this mission is actually from the very Father heart of God. 
that what he's doing is not just off his own bat, but actually it's the heart of God who loves us. It's the father who wants the son to see the new relationship with the world established. He wants to see, he wants the world to see the reality of the meaning of the cross and that it comes from the heart of God and that that will bring glory and honour to God as people see that, that he loves them. Josh Moody in his little commentary points this out and I think this is brilliant. I mean, and, and I, I, I love some of these things that are mentioned here. He says, the place where God is most glorified is not in creation. It's not in a sunset. But at the blood-daubed cross and the empty tomb. You know, I, I, I love my photography. I love seeing beautiful pictures of, of sunsets and creation. But actually, lovely and all as that is, and, and how that brings glory to God, yes, it does. But actually... God is most glorified at the blood-daubed cross and the empty tomb. The broken body and the bloodshed, the bread and the wine, that's where God's most glorified. And through the empty tomb which follows. If God is most glorified through the work of his Son, then that must be the focus of our lives and the motivation for our mission. If that's what glorifies God, then it must be the priority for us. That's why Paul says we preach Christ and him crucified. That's why we're told in, in Romans that the gospel, the good news, is God's power. And the word is the word dunamis, from which we get dynamite. It is God's dynamite for salvation in our lives. Jesus' prayer reminds us that the Father and the Son are working together. So that Son has been given all authority or authority over all flesh. He is the authority to give eternal life to all those that the Father gives to him, which, which ultimately I think is, I mean, it's incredible to think that God gives us to Jesus as a gift so that we are given eternal life. That's how he works in our lives as we respond to him. Now again, some people don't, don't respond positively to that. Because not, in truth, not everyone receives the good news. But the Father and Son have worked together to provide eternal life. We receive it through faith. We come in repentance, turning to God and receiving a gift that he gives to us. And Jesus already told us about eternal life. Whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. And he said he came that, he might, that we might have life and life to the full. What did Jesus mean whenever he said about, about eternal life? Was he referring to the place that we call heaven or is he just referring to everlasting life that we're able to live forever or, or was he speaking about something like a, an intense, more intense church service? Or what, 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 what was he talking about in eternal life? Well, eternal life is about knowing and being with God in his presence. Do you know the most important thing about heaven is not the place, not the structure of it, not the as we talk about sometimes streets filled with gold or whatever else we talk about. The most important thing about heaven is actually that Jesus is there. That we're able to be with him forever. And that's what he says eternal life is about, knowing and being with God in his presence. 
And so he says it's about knowing the only true God who is eternal, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternal life is about knowing him. And it's also about knowing Jesus Christ whom the Father has sent. We can only know God because Jesus revealed him to us and made it possible to have a relationship with him. That leads us to realize that the Christian faith, the Christian life is about getting to know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How exciting is that? It's all about getting to know Jesus, about getting to know God. Jesus is able to give us this eternal life to those who seek it, the ones whom the Father has been working by his Holy Spirit, bringing that inner conviction in relation to sin and righteousness and judgment as we've already seen. But Jesus finishes his prayer with the words, I have glorified you on earth. I I accomplished the work you gave me to do. I came into the world from heaven. I've gone to the cross and died and I was raised to life by your power. That's the reality of what he did. Through those actions, Jesus brought glory to God. And it's the same words, basically, that he he cried out on the cross. It is finished. There is nothing more to be done. God's love for you and for me has been demonstrated And the work of salvation is complete. There is nothing more for me to do here. And now I'm going back to the Father. I've accomplished the work that you set for me to do. Alec Mateer in his commentary points out the physical limitations of Jesus' work. In that he says he was never outside Palestine. He was a single man until his death in 33. He never experienced parenthood. He healed a limited number of people and some he didn't heal. And yet he accomplished the will of the Father. Isn't that what we long to be able to say? That we have accomplished the will of the Father in our lives. That God has called each of us to a specific work suited to us with gifts and abilities that he has given to us. And that we have done what he has asked us to do. You know, Paul gives a word to Archippus in, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. There's a challenge for you this morning. To ask, what, what, what is the ministry that God has given me specific? Not, not the one that he's given to others that I would, would, would fancy doing or, or one that I... What is the ministry that God has given to you and, and are you fulfilling it? See to it that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. We started with those words, let us fix or let us run the race with perseverance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What an encouragement this morning as we think about Jesus' prayer. How he saw what God had called him to do, how he prayed through it, preparing himself, wanting ultimately the glory of God the Father. 
And then to be able to say that I have accomplished this and that we're the benefactors of that because we're able to know through faith a new and a living relationship with God as we worship and serve him.